Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. You know, change is one of the greatest building blocks to future creativity. I remember a few years ago when my beautiful daughter-in-law came into the room where I was and we were, a whole family was there and she had inadvertently left part of her, her blouse hanging out. Part of it was tucked in and part of it was hanging out. So I came up and I said, darling, you've missed this here. You didn't get this part tucked in. And she said, Pop, it's supposed to be that way. Now, sometimes culture creeps up on you. Just you're not ready for it. And for a minute, I stood there, and, I, and I'm, I'm like the guy, can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born again? I asked the stupidest question in the world. I said, you mean it's supposed to be half tucked in and half out? And she said, why, yes, that's what's popular. Back in Alabama, we had a relative on my wife's side. (laughs) And he he was... (laughs) 52 years I've been trying to be careful. And he was in the melon business. He grew watermelons. And he was about to get married, and he had had several really good years, but... Something had happened in his business that he didn't understand and he was losing 20 cents a melon. So he decided to have dinner with his fiancée to tell her he had real concerns about getting marriage because of the financial situation. And as they were eating, he looked at her very sincerely, said, if I could just figure out a way to get enough money to buy a bigger truck, that'll sneak up on you on the way home today. See, change is the building blocks of future creativity. If all you do is do more of what you're doing, I'll try to help you understand this. If you're losing 20 cents on a melon, a bigger truck just means you lose more money. You need more than a bigger truck. You need a better idea. And here's the thing. If you're willing to change, then God is going to give you future creativity that you don't have now. I like this, uh, the fact that God can get into your hands anything he wants to give you. Back in Alabama, we grew up in Pentecost and we had this little Pentecostal uh, grandma and she was, didn't have food and she was sitting in her rocking chair by the fireplace praying for God to give her food. And there were two little mischievous neighbor boys that was looking in through the window. They would hear her pray and she'd put her hands up and ask God for food. One of them had an idea, so we ran home, got a fresh baked loaf of bread out of the bread box, put it in a croaker sack. Anybody know what a croaker sack is? This is real Southern, it's like burlap, and you twist it and then tie string around it. And he brought it back over because they didn't have plastic bags and things like that then. And he brought it back over and went up and dropped it down the chimney. So she's rocking and praying and the croaker bag falls uh, down into the fireplace. She opens it up 
and it's a beautiful, fresh baked loaf of bread, and she puts her hands up and begins to praise God for it. And the little boys mischievously knocked on the window and said, ah, we're laughing, we got you, we got you. God didn't send it, we did it. <laughs> she replied, the devil may have delivered it, but God sent it. You see, when God wants to get something into your hands, he can get it into your hands any way he desires. I remember a few years back, Oral Roberts, and most of you don't even know who he is, but he was kind of an apostle of the faith, an apostle of healing in the body of Christ. And uh, he had a need in his ministry, and he let that need be known uh, on his broadcast. And there was a gentleman in South Florida that owned uh, a dog racing facility. And he was touched by it. And he sent him $1 million just from watching his television show. And it was just such a whirlwind of excitement around that in a negative way, even from the church, because people were talking about it was dark money, it wasn't clean, the church doesn't need that kind of money. But here's what I want to tell you. Change is a building block to future creativity. You have to be willing to change. You have to be able to pull half of your shirt out and leave half of it tucked in <laughs> and not let culture creep up on you. You know, you have to be able to do that. And you have to be able to say to God, God, I have this impossible need and you can get it into my hands in a croaker sack or you can get it into my hands from a man who races dogs for a living but you can put it in my hand and you know what money is neutral you can build a church with it or a nightclub with it it's neutral so whatever you need be willing to change so today the parable that I am going to teach on is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And there's so many of us that need to change in that area because we have so many areas of our life where we're unforgiving and we don't realize that we're unforgiving. So in Matthew 18, verse 21, I want to start reading this parable and then I'm going to expound on it a little bit. Then the apostle Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall I sin, uh, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Now he was feeling very magnanimous and really just wanted to, I think, show Jesus how spiritual he was and said, so I'd like to know that how often should I allow my brother to sin against me and forgive him seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say unto, you, unto thee, Peter, until even se seven times seven, until 70 times. Listen, this is the biggest Bible I could find <laughs> it, in its big print, and my little granddaughter couldn't hardly get up the stairs there a while ago, but it's still hard for me to see it, so bear with me, okay? Therefore is, the kingdom of, therefore is the kingdom of heaven 
likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not paid, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him. By the way, 10,000 talents is in today's money, millions of dollars. It's no small thing. For the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will repay all. Then the Lord on that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Does this resonate with anyone? But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, now they're on the same level, fellow servant, which owed him a hundred pence, which is a very small, insignificant amount of money. And he had, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat and say, said to him, pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet. Now he's doing the same thing that the servant did. And besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. See, some people don't want to change. Whether it's a building block for future creativity or not, some people are so set in their ways, they're never going to pull half of their blouse out. Prime example. <laughs> and he would not. But he went and cast him into prison until, he should, be, until should, he should be able to pay the debt. So when his fellow servants, other fellow servants, same level, saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O wicked servant. We don't think about our inability to change sometimes as being sinful. Like, I'm just not going to do that. Could be a problem. Could be a problem to your future creativity. Could be a problem to to your ability to understand what's actually happening in the world and be a participant in it instead of observing it from the sidelines. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all of thy debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee. And his Lord was wroth with him and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay, pay all that was due unto him. So here is the key and the linchpin of the parable. So likewise, so likewise, in other words, I said all of this to say this. Said all of that to say this. Here it is. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you from your heart, that's a key, from your heart forgive not everyone his brother 
their trespasses. In verse 21, Peter is being very magnanimous. Says, Lord, how often shall I forgive? Now, this shows you how powerful a teacher Jesus was. Because forgiveness is not even a question here. It's taken for granted. Peter understands forgiveness. Peter knows that there is a a vital necessity in the Christian life to forgive. And if you can't forgive, then that inability to change will stifle the creativity and the power of your future. So he knows that already. So, Peter is as... Peter is aware that he must forgive injuries. He already knows that. But there's a question, and the question is, how many times? And I think this is interesting because you and I, especially 52 years, three years, two? I can't see with them or without them what... Anyway, we've been married a long time. <laughs> it's like an old thing, how many fingers do you see? I, don't, I just couldn't tell you, I'm sorry. <laughs> so here's the thing. In, in his magnanimity, Peter is saying, this must be for a lifetime. I think he probably read Proverbs where Solomon, the wisest man in the world, said, a just man falleth seven times. So obviously the apostle Peter thought we had to forgive or have forgiveness at least seven times. But here's the point. There is a natural propensity within our corrupt nature to desire all the forgiveness we can get for ourselves while limiting the amount of forgiveness we desire to give to others. It's a natural propensity, and it's in us. Verse 22, but Jesus just popped the balloon completely because his answer was so strong. His response was so dynamic. He said, Peter, at least 70 times seven. And he was saying it is not a number, it is not a parameter, it is not a border. It speaks of the infinity of God's forgiveness to us. God is infinite in his forgiveness and his forgiveness is infinite. God has never erected a border. He has never erected a boundary on how much good you can do. But you don't understand, this person has been my friend for years and they just keep doing this over and over and over and over. And Jesus said, well, there's plenty of room. You're not cramped. You're not backed in a corner. You're not boxed in. 70 times seven. He was really saying, I forgive you every day. 70 times 7. Deuteronomy 32 and 34 says God keeps an account because he is the judge. 
but you and I are never to keep an account. Romans 12 and 19, vengeance is mine, I will repay. We don't keep an account. In Isaiah, he said, do not take revenge on your neighbor. He said, I will cause his foot to stumble and I will bring sudden calamity upon him. And then in Romans here, he says, do not avenge yourself. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, it has been said, you've heard it of old, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but he said it is not so. The tit for tat principle doesn't work in the kingdom of God. He said, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other. That's not talking about battery. If somebody batters you, prosecute them to the full extent of the law. That is talking about injury, injustice. If someone does you an injustice, leave it in God's hand, pass it by. You know, God gives us the unique ability to pass up injury and just pass it by. You know what David said? He said, I'm blind and I am deaf in my pursuit of the power and the glory of God. I don't see injuries. I don't hear injuries. I don't hear any of the, the accusers that are accusing me. I'm blind to it. I'm deaf to it. I put my focus on following God and being in his power and living in his spirit. So you got a judge that does take account, but you and I cannot take account. No account. You got a list? What was the last thing I said that you didn't care for? You, do you remember that? What was the last thing your friend did or your mate did or someone you know at work did and you have the list, you have the account? He said, no account, no scoring up. You can't take account, you can't score up. To do so is to ascend God's throne and become the judge. So change is a building block for creature of future creativity. You have to be willing to change. Christ's likeness passes up injuries without taking account of them until forgiveness becomes habitual. What is God looking for in the area of forgiveness? Habituality. Habituality. It's such a habit. You're like David. You're blind to what you see people doing to you. You're deaf to what you hear people saying about you. You are so hard pressed in pursuit of God that you don't see and you don't hear injuries. You just pass them by. The fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The parable that we are looking at represents the kingdom of heaven. And as I've told you before, Jesus spoke of the kingdom over 100 times. He spoke of the church twice. He spoke of being born again once. But he spoke of the kingdom over 100 times. Why? Because it would be the kingdom principles 
the gospel of the kingdom that the church would carry to the world and become the principles that allows the church to truly be the body of Christ, Acts 20 and 28, that Jesus shed his blood for. It has that kind of value, that kind of worth. Therefore, anytime he says the kingdom of heaven is likened to, you need to listen. And he said it is likened to this unforgiving servant is a kingdom principle. You have to forgive. You don't have a choice. There are three issues in this parable. I want to touch them quickly. Boy, aren't you glad there's not six? <laughs> Just only three. So much to be happy about today. <laughs> Number one is the master's clemency in verse 23 through 27. The forgiveness of 10,000 talents, which would be equivalent to millions of dollars in our economy. Here's what we don't understand. That every sin we commit is a debt to God. Whew, boy, do I owe a big bill. Mm. We are all debtors we all owe satisfaction. We are all liable to the process of the law. None of us are skating under this principle. There is an account kept of these debts that shall be reckoned with shortly. Ooh. Wow. Day of judgment. Not the great white throne, but the judgment seat of Christ where you and I as believers will appear before Christ. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, what day? The day of judgment. Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name, cast out devils in thy name, do many wonderful works in thy name? And I'll say unto them, I never knew you depart from me, ye that worked iniquity. There are so many people who have run up such a debt and such a bill that it seems they love God. It seems they serve God because they talk the talk, but they don't necessarily walk the walk. You know, this servant, when he was before the king, just worshiped. The Bible said he fell down at his feet and worshiped. He says, oh, I love your forgiveness. Oh, your forgiveness is so wonderful. Oh, just talk the talk, talk the talk, talk the talk. He went out, and when it was time to walk the walk, he said, this man hadn't got the money to pay me. Put him in prison and let him rot there. You see, it's those people that said, Lord, didn't, we, didn't I prophesy in you? Don't you remember when I fell down and worshiped you and was praising you? And just gave a little word of prophecy there and all these things. And, and the Lord said, I'm not moved by that. Because your debt was never forgiven. Because you chose not to change. And allow my grace to change your life. 
and you allowed that unforgiveness to then shift to everyone around you. Anybody here? Psalms 19 and 12, listen to this, says, who can understand the number of his errors or sins? Or tell me how often do we offend and sin against God? That's a rhetorical concept. Every day. Every day. See, that's why it is so important to understand Jesus who was the lamb, Revelation 13, slain from the foundation of the world. He became the ultimate sacrifice. His blood was shed. One time, and the blood, half of it was poured on the altar, and that is represented by the Red Sea, and, and uh, the Red Sea had two huge walls of water that stood up and the people of God passed through and got to the other side to the promised land and the enemy when the, the walls of water collapsed destroyed the enemy in the midst thereof see that's one time for all the blood shed half of it's poured on the altar but the other half was sprinkled on the people and that's analogized by the Jordan River when the priests put their feet in the river and when their, their feet touched the water, it stopped flowing downstream and began to back up all the way to the city Adam, which is indicative of the beginning of your Christian walk up until you were where you are now. That's representative of your daily sins. The Sea of, the, the, the sea of Galilee, representative of your sins being forgiven for all time. And then your day, well, why is it important for your daily sins to be forgiven? Isaiah 59 says, his hand is not shortened, his uh, ear is not dull, that he, cannot, that he cannot deliver you. He said, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. It's just as important to ask God for forgiveness of our daily sins as it is the initial time that we came before him and asked him for forgiveness of our sins at large and he received us into the kingdom and we received the salvific experience. But many people after that don't understand the importance. David said in Psalm 66, he said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So think about that with what we just said. His hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor is his ear dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God so that he does not hear you. Doesn't mean you don't know him. Doesn't mean you don't love him. Doesn't mean he doesn't know you and doesn't love you. He just doesn't hear you because your sins keep piling up and you don't understand this debt that you have to allow him to pay. You can't pay it. But you can just say, Lord, I'm a bonehead. I am stupid. Forgive me. Can you imagine how many times God has looked at me and said, oh, God, I've heard this too much. Because that's who we are. There's no good thing in us except him. 
So the debt of sin is so great that we're not able to pay. Here's what the servant said. He had not to pay. You don't have it. I don't have it. We don't have it. You can't work your way into it. Some of us are working ourselves to death. Quit working and start confessing your sins. Receive forgiveness. And the forgiveness you receive, go out and give it to everybody you meet and live a life with an open heaven where God hears you, responds to you, and blesses you because of your faithfulness. So here's what is really being said. When it said he had not to pay, you know what this is? This is a statute of bankruptcy against all of us. It's a statute of bankruptcy against all of us. We have not the ability to pay. We are bankrupt when it comes to our sins against God. Silver and gold will not pay the debt. Psalms 49, 6 and 7 said, They that trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches shall be unable to ransom themselves. So gold and silver won't pay it. We are without strength. We cannot help ourselves and our works are worthless. The servant under this charge of doom when he was before the king was about to be sold as a bond slave. His wife was about to be sold. His children were about to be sold. And in verse 26, he fell down at the feet of his royal master and worshiped him and besought him to be patient and give him time to repay. How many times have we got the slate cleared with God? And how long did it stay cleared? How quickly God can bring the proudest sinner to his knees. Ahab to his sackcloth. Manasseh to his prayers. Pharaoh to his confessions. Judas to his restitution. Simon to his supplication. And Belshazzar and Felix to their tremblings. The servant begged for time. And he promised payment. You see, we beg for that which we cannot have and we promise that which we cannot give. We're bankrupt. Verse 27, the Lord of that servant, I love this. Here's the lead off word, mercifully. <laughs> he mercifully dealt with him. You know, that has to be Intentional. You have to be intentional to show mercy to people when they do not deserve mercy. What you deserve is a slap on the face, buddy. But you have to be intentional to be merciful. And the, the Lord showed to that servant mercy. Listen to this. Released him satisfied his debt and pardoned him. 
You know what? When you get the pardon, never existed. Verse 30. He was moved with compassion and forgave it all. You and I need to be easily moved with compassion toward the sins of others toward us. You know, my mother used to have this thing said, he, he's got Nick in him. And we used to have a pastor here called Nick. I don't know what Nick is, but it wasn't a good thing. Whatever it was. Nick was like the devil, I think, the way she meant it. Said, boy, he's full of Nick. Maybe she knew somebody named Nick. I don't know. But he was moved with compassion and forgave it all. No matter if it's Nick or not. He forgave him, he loosed him, he canceled him. Some of us are really good at canceling. Preach on, Brother Gary. He forgave him, loosed him, canceled him, and the judgment against him was vacated. He discharged him from his penalty of death and his penalty of debt and said, you can go free. So the first issue is the master's clemency. The second major point I see in this parable is the servant's unreasonable, unreasonable severity in his unforgiveness. He was unreasonable. And the severity that he wanted to exact upon this fellow servant was startling. In verses 28 through 30, it says, when we push a claim, here's the commentary I want to give you on 28 through 30. When you and I feel we have a claim against somebody and they've hurt us, offended us, damaged us. I had somebody this past week telling me how damaged, how hurt they were and what had been done to them. It's so hard to speak to people, you know, that just have wrapped themselves up in things like that. When we push a claim to extremity, it becomes wrong on our part. I don't care how big the claim is, when you push it to extremity, you're wrong. It's not them anymore, it's you. When it produces neither reparation or public good, it purely becomes revenge in your life. When he said, let him perish in prison, at that point, pure revenge. It showed that he had greater love for money than he had for man. See, his fellow servant's debt was small and insignificant compared to what he owed. But the Bible said he laid hands on his fellow servant and took him by the throat. He was demanding and cruel and violent and unmerciful. The debtor was showing submission. Think about this. To his, serv his fellow servant because he fell down at his feet and worshiped him. He showed humility. He showed respect. He showed honor. But it wasn't enough. The creditor was angry and furious and cruel. And in verse 30, let him rot in prison. Then the onlooking servants were very sorry at the creditor's cruelty and also the debtor's calamity. 
the sins and sufferings of our fellow servants should be a matter of grief and trouble to every one of us. We should never joy in them. You know, some people kind of get a little giddy when they see bad things happening to people they don't like. It should always be a matter of grief and trouble to us when we see our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ suffering. We should never take joy in it. Ezekiel 4 and 1, Solomon looked both upon the tears of the oppressed and the power of the oppressor. Solomon was the wisest man in the world. He was able to see both sides of every issue. When they came and told the Lord, notice that they didn't reprove the servant. Don't ever try to reprove people horizontally. If it's a fellow servant, don't try to reprove them unless you're in a relationship with them and you're speaking into their life and you're mentoring them. But otherwise, don't do that. Go to the authority above you. Too many people move horizontally. And unforgiveness just multiplies and grows and grows and grows. But they did the right thing because they took it up. Be careful of the unreasonable and the outrageous and the foolish. They'll devour you. Master's clemency, unreasonable severity, and the third major point of this parable is the master's just resentment of his servant's cruelty. See, you can't fault him for pulling him back in and saying, look, man, I did all of this for you and look what you went out and how you represented me. And he just reversed field on him. Verses 32 and 33. He said, oh, thou wicked servant, unforgiveness is sin and it is wicked. Unmercifulness is the greatest wickedness of all. When you and I have been shown so much and we show so little, it's the greatest wickedness of all. He said, I forgave you all of your debt. We love receiving the favor of God but do we also love dispensing it? Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant even as I had pity on you? When you're compassionless, unmerciful, unconformable, unpardoning, when you just push it to the max, it becomes wrong because it doesn't benefit. Verse 34, he revoked his pardon. He canceled his acquittal. He reinstated his judgment of debt against him. Then here's what he said in verse 34. This is important. He said he delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Despite the greatness of the wickedness of this servant, his Lord laid upon him only the punishment of payment that he owed. He didn't compound it. God is even-handed. You see, the power of God's wrath to ruin us is not the issue. God doesn't want to ruin you or me. 
the reproaches and the terrors of one's own conscience will be the tormentors that he is speaking of here. And many people will have an eternity to think about it. You know when the Bible talks about the worm that never dieth? It's the reproaches and the terrors of one's own conscience. They're the tormentors. They are the worm that will never die. They are the demonic voices and the accusers of the brethren who have become the executioners of God's wrath. You don't need somebody to punish you. You don't need a, a, a man in a red suit with horns and a, a pitchfork and a tail. Because your conscience will be your tormentor throughout eternity. These tormentors will be our tempters forever. They're tempters, they're tormentors, and our debts to God are never compounded. God doesn't do business that way. You're either, either all is forgiven or all is exacted. Can I just say this in closing? No applause. Saints are in heaven because he paid it all. Sinners are in hell because they desired to pay it all. You're bankrupt. I'm bankrupt. We can't pay. Saints are in heaven because they just released the reins of the heart and said, I'm helpless. And he paid it all. People that are in hell would not release the reins of their heart, would not forgive. And they tried to pay it all. But your works don't get it. Mine don't get it. So here it is in closing. Here is the application that I mentioned in the beginning. Verse 35. So likewise shall your heavenly Father do also unto you. To forgive, listen, ensures continued forgiveness by your heavenly Father. We must from our hearts forgive. No malice of the heart, no ill will, no revenge. And the danger of not forgiving, so shall your heavenly Father do to you. That's the danger. He will not forgive you. God never reverses his pardon to anyone. But he denies them to those that are unqualified for them. Those who lack the capacity to forgive their brothers lack forgiveness in their own state, in their own life. Matthew 7, 21, many will say in that day, but it won't matter. To be unforgiving is to be, is to never have truly believed the gospel. If you're unforgiving, you never truly believed the gospel. Luke 8 and 18, get this, and this is the final verse. Take heed therefore how you hear. To whosoever hath 
to him shall be given, but to whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. There are a lot of people like, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out devils? Didn't we do many what they seemeth to have? But they're the have-nots. They never had it. They always talked the talk. They never walked the walk. They always received the forgiveness and the favor, but they went out and never was magnanimous with their brother or their sister. So here's the final sentence that I wrote. That which is taken away is only that which they seemed to have. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.